This is also the time when our small children head out to the back where uh, Jeremy will take you down to Children's Church. Uh, so um, if you're a small child and you want to avoid having to listen to me for the next, uh, oh, I don't know, 20-ish minutes, um, this is the time to head for the hills. Um, so uh, let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you be with, with me as I, as I uh, preach the word this morning. Help me to be faithful. Um, help me to to point to you over and over again. Help me to um, listen to the Spirit's movements, and, and uh, most of all, Lord, help me to not get in the way. Um, I pray that, that my tendency to, to um, my tendency to say what I think or to speak my mind would not be uh, what kind of works out here today, Lord, but that instead it would be uh, your heart and your scriptures and, and your spirit that are, that are heard and encountered through this message. I pray that the folks who are here would hear you and, and know you more through... Uh, through this time of preaching, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I was walking uh, past the sanctuary earlier, and um, Rebecca was sitting at the piano. I told her I was going to work this into the sermon, and here we are. Um, and she was playing, was it Mozart? She was playing Mozart, and she was, she was playing it. I, it depends on who you ask. If you ask her, she would say she was playing it badly, and I would say it was spectacular because, you know, I can't play piano. Um, and I, I walked in and I was thinking I would give anything to be able to play piano like she plays it. And we talked about it and it's interesting because as I thought that and I started to say, I say, wait a minute, I wouldn't actually give everything, anything because I wouldn't sit and practice piano for an hour a day for 15 years. Right? Like I, I wouldn't do that, which is the reason I can't play piano. Like it's... (laughs) I mean, it boils down to that, but it's interesting because Rebecca said, I wish I could play better. The problem is that I can, you know, that I can play well enough that I was able to sort of fake my way through practices. Is that about right? Um, For years. And so I would be able to play better if I was willing to practice more. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Um, But as we get into the text today, here's here's what we're doing. Um, We're working on a series uh, uh, that began with 1 Corinthians 13, um, talking about love, talking about uh, God's command to his people to love folks and, and to love beyond, like, the reason of this world, right? Like, as our world will tell you, you love people if they love you, you serve people if you get something out of it, um, or if, if, you know, it benefits you, you, these things are the guidelines. Um, but this is very anti what our world teaches. And, and I started digging into this. I thought this would be a fun series. And as I was studying it, I came across um, some passages on anger, and uh, I thought, wow, this is a a hard topic. I should not talk about it. And then I mentioned it in last week's sermon. I said I would preach about it, and so I kind of shot myself in the foot. Um, And so we're going to be talking about anger a little bit, and and, um, this is a complicated subject. Everybody with me? Um, If you hear me giving an easy answer... Like, either I'm screwing up or you're hearing me wrong, because there's no easy answers. Everybody with me? This is a difficult, difficult subject, like, like and, and we'll dig into it, and hopefully I can help you understand. I, I see a couple perplexed looks, and hopefully I don't lose you in the process. Um, I read a quote this morning from uh, Charles, De, I think it was De Gaulle. Um, he was talking about how he would get angry um, when he was right and other people didn't hear him. 
Um, and he said that Churchill always gets angry when he's wrong. And so they were constantly angry at each other. Um, um, and that's sometimes the way anger feels. I mean, anger is one of these things. It is a biological function. It is something that happens in a part of our brain that is wired into fight or flight. It is chemical. Once it is there, you are um, you're powerful. Anybody know that feeling? You know, you get angry and you feel strong. Don't point. Um, <laughs> you get angry and it makes you feel strong and it makes you feel ready and alert. And that's because, like, we're designed that if somebody comes, you know, if a lion ran in here, not a lion, we probably don't have many lions around here, if wolves suddenly rushed into the sanctuary, like, my fight or flight would kick in and I would run out the side door, um, <laughs> maybe knock Rebecca down on the way out. <laughs> And, and it would protect me because, like, I biologically respond to danger. And that's what anger is all about. It's about this perceived sense of danger. The problem is that um, oftentimes, like, anger is designed to control your behavior, right? Like, if I have to stop and think, knock Rebecca over, I might not do it quick enough. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, anger is all about reaction, Right? It is all about instant response, move, 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 be strong. Adrenaline dumps into your blood so that you're physically able to defend yourself or knock over a smaller person. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, well, anyway, I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Maybe I have a lot of experience running away from bullies and knocking over other people. You don't know. So as we dive into it, the series so far, again, 1 Corinthians 13, last week we talked about this, the greatest commandments, love God more than anything and love your neighbor as yourself. And it would be a lot easier to love your neighbor as you love yourself if they would just stop being obnoxious. Isn't it true? Like I would, I would love, you know, other people in traffic so much better if they would just get out of the way. I, I would love people like in politics if they would just realize that I'm right. I would love, I mean, it is the truth of it. Like, like, but loving people the way you love yourself sort of steps beyond that. Um, it steps beyond sort of this inclination. And 1 Corinthians 13 actually plays that out well. It talks about it doesn't demand its own way. Um, because learning to love folks means putting your own way aside. It means putting your own glorification aside. It means putting your own fulfillment aside. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is hard, Right? And a lot of times we meet folks who are like that in little bits and pieces, and usually they talk like Rebecca. I wish I was better. I'd be better if. And we say, you know what, I'd give anything if I could hold my temper the way except for actually working on it. You know what I mean? Like, I would give anything to hold my temper better except for, like, giving up my own way or, like, you know, learning to be patient. That's a bad word in my house. Um, except when we apply it to the kids. Um, <laughs> It, it, is, it is hard. And so as we dive into this stuff, part of the reason that it's textually hard is because it is personally hard, okay? Like, um, part of this is about learning to be like Christ. And becoming Christ-like is hard. In fact, it is intensely difficult. It is difficult at a whole other level. Um, and, and I mentioned Jesus because Jesus is the perfect example of this. Like, we see Jesus... Um, like, like embody this stuff over and over and over again. And, and so we're going to turn to him as an example, um, but we're going to start out actually in Psalms. Uh, this is Psalms 37, uh, 7 and 9. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. I'm going to read that line again. Refrain from anger and do not uh, and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Um, what Psalm's talking about here is that anger, as a rule, like generally leads to us doing evil things. Um, and in fact, actually, I'm going to rephrase this a little bit. When I worked at the home, at the children's home, we used to say to folks all the time, anger makes you stupid. Anybody else experience this? The moment you get angry, you are 110% more likely to do something or say something that you probably shouldn't, Right? Um, I forever and ever and ever, and it's weird that it's like been 15, 16 years. My wife, when we were dating, I, she gave me a coffee cup and I have looked actually every year I look, you know, I'll, I'll get it in my head. I can find this thing and I look for it and it is, it is a cup that I, I mean, I loved it and I loved that she gave it to me and everything else. But one day we were arguing, I walked out to the garage to leave. I was carrying my coffee cup and I was so mad at my wife that I threw it against the garage wall, right? Would I have done that had I thought about it? Probably not, because it didn't help me win the argument and I lost my favorite coffee cup, right? Like, it was, it was dumb. But the reality is we do and say dumb things because we don't think because that's how anger works, right? It's, if you have to stop and think about it, most likely, you know, the wolves are going to get you. You're not going to be able to run out of the building fast enough. Rebecca will run to the door first and you won't get to knock her over. I mean, like... Like, anger is react, don't think, right? And part of what the psalm is talking about here is as we indulge in anger, it tends to cloud our judgment. It tends to shift us away from doing the right thing, and it shifts us toward either doing the thing that's satisfying, right, or the thing that's impulsive. And rarely is the impulsive thing the right thing, right? The satisfying thing is revenge. The satisfying thing is saying that perfect word that'll, you know, sentence that'll win the argument for you. By the way, the more arguments you win, the more likely you are to lose in your relationships. Isn't it the truth? When you win every argument against your wife, guess what's going to happen? She ain't going to like you very much. Right? You become like Churchill and De Gaulle. Um, <laughs> she'll be mad because she's wrong, and you're mad because she won't listen. Or vice versa. Uh, <laughs> This is bad marriage advice corner. Um, but what Psalms is talking about, because anger as a, as a rule does not lead us to righteousness. It doesn't lead us to the right way of, of living. And actually Jesus puts this into a much finer and like sharper point when he says, um, you have heard it said uh, to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which is like a, there's some theories about this. We're going to very simply say this is a, um, this is a, a word that is not translated well, but we can assume from context that it means something unpleasant. Like Wildcats fan or something, I don't know. Um, but says to a brother or sister, Raka, or you jerk, or whatever, um, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Um, you, uh, in the ancient world, like fool, like in Hebrew, um, and then later in Greek, 
it was about as bad an insult as you could throw out, okay? And, and it's not that we've come up with better insults and more colorful, like, sentence enhancers now. Um, it's that uh, back then they understood this word to mean you were stupid in the ways of God and in the ways of life. And it was to cut you to the very bottom level, right? Like, we, we've sort of um, diluted the word, but it is it's, it's a pretty nasty thing to say. Um, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Um, What do we do with this? Well, Jesus is is the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, listen, if you want to be people like me, if you want to be people like my people, you don't hang out pouring gas on your own anger. Right. Y'all. Some of y'all, I'm sure most of y'all are better than me. But I'll say I sometimes have trouble with that. I have trouble with carrying anger around and pouring gas on that fire. You know what I mean? Where you sit around and you think, oh, my gosh, that guy, right? And we get that anger nice and stoked. You know, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe these people are doing that. I can't believe it's this way. I can't believe it's that way. And before you know it, you're angry at this other person or these other people for things they haven't even done yet, right? And you've got to, like, invent stuff to be mad about. I mean, it becomes this crazy, like, over-the-top anger thing. And it's this thing we, we, we do. And ultimately what that does is um, it pulls us away from righteousness. It does not enable us to love our neighbor as ourselves, for starters. But also it has a tendency to spread. Anger is a little like cancer, right? Um, cancer is this nasty thing that happens inside you. And, like, if you're unlucky... Um, it finds its way into other organs. And before you know it, that little, you know, half a dozen cancer cells have become, they call it metastasized. And that's where it grows uncontrollably like a gas fire. You know what I mean? Or like a grease fire. That's what I mean. You know, you throw water on it. Um, Anger can be this way. Anger can be where you start out angry at one person, and before you know it, everybody's dealing with it. Anybody ever come home after a bad day at work and yell at the kids before they did something wrong? Really? Okay. <laughs> you and me, honey. <laughs> That's, it's just us. Um, it is because anger spreads. And the more you harbor anger and the more you keep that fire going, the more it becomes this thing that is perpetual. It is forever. I, I read a story um, a while ago about uh, a mine in Butte that caught fire. Um, and this is like 100 years ago. Um, it caught fire and eventually just caved it in and let it go. And, like, it is still burning. Like, underground, in the heart of the earth, it is still on fire. And anger can do this to us. I know people who are angry at folks they haven't seen in a decade. Anybody there? Anybody mad at anybody who's dead? And you can't even, like, make it right? You know, like, they ain't feeling it. You are. But that is a, an anger that metastasizes. And it becomes a part of everything. It begins to poison everything about who we are. Um, anger is this thing that we carry around. Um, and what Christ calls for, ultimately, is reconciliation. And he actually places reconciliation at a higher standard than giving to the church. Like, man, when a preacher says, don't give an offering, go and reconcile, that is not a small thing, right? Although I guess you just, you know, God commands resource anyway. Um, The point being that, like, 
anger, like this resentment thing, it is spiritual poison. It is spiritual cancer, and it spreads. Um, the solution to that is learning to love. Is that easy? No. It's actually painful. It's scalding. It's miserable. Um, Ephesians explains it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as just as in Christ God forgave you. Um, the mandate here is forgiveness. That's hard. It's especially hard when people have wronged you or people you love in huge, ugly ways, right? Um, one of the things that I, I learned uh, in AA actually was kind of a cool thing. As you watch folks in these meetings and you hear them talk, eventually if you pay close enough attention, you realize that like other people's sins are your sins and like other people can be fantastic mirrors. Um, but that like requires a level of humility that's not easy, right? I look at other folks and I say, oh, well, I can't believe that guy is doing that. If I back up and think about it hard enough, I can come up with – Times I have done that or I'm currently doing that and I can say, oh, wow, I need to kind of get my own self right, right? The advantage of, like, slowing down and not being angry because when you're angry, you can't look at the other guy and try to identify with him, right? You can't empathize with him. You only want to throttle him. <laughs> it's, it's true, right? Like, it is the truth. We look and say, you know what? I have been that guy. I have done these things. I have, you know, or... Even if we can't immediately relate, we might back up and say, you know what? Standing before God, I got no innocence of my own. Like, honestly, if I got to stand before God on my own merit, I'm, heck, if I got to stand before you guys on my own merit, I'm in trouble. And y'all ain't God, right? Um, and the reality is the only reason I can stand before God and I can stand before y'all is because Christ carried my sin for me, died on the cross, bore God's wrath on my behalf, and I am a new creation in Christ. In Christ, I am forgiven. I am made new. I am purified. I am made holy. Um, I am I'm right before God because of, because of God's mercy in Christ. Um, and we're called to offer the same thing. That's actually the last line there. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Um, I'm going to quick disclaimer here. Forgive and love does not mean ignore. Got it? Um, I, I love my children. I love my children. I would, I would bleed to death for them. I love them. I think any other parent in the room would say the same thing, right? However, there are times that I cannot ignore what they are doing, and I must respond. Um, I know folks who will allow other people to abuse them and say, oh, but i got to love them and i got to forgive them. No, you can love and forgive without being abused, without being a victim, right? It doesn't mean be stupid. It doesn't mean condone evil. And in fact, actually, sometimes um, it requires some, some strong response. Um, so, so far we've dug into this, and there's all of this like step away from anger, put anger away, forgive, um, let go of this, be at peace. You know, be like Jesus, all this other stuff. We're going to dive into some Gospels here, and this is the counterpoint. This is where this stuff gets complicated. This is Mark 3, 1 to 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. 
Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians that they might kill Jesus. This is the only time in the scriptures the Herodians are mentioned. Um, the assumption is that they are uh, people who supported Herod Her- as, as kind of the, the good guy hero. This is not Herod the Great. It is his son. Still kind of a big turkey. He's the guy who cut off John the Baptist's head, uh, who the Pharisees actually kind of liked John the Baptist. They didn't love him. They had conflicts. But... Um, They actually went and joined up with their enemies, their natural enemies, to plot against Christ because because they were angry at him, because their hearts were hard, because they were bitter. Um, By the way, that is a sign of what anger will do to you, right? Like, it is a weird thing. Like, anybody ever pair up with somebody to commiserate and you don't like them that much, but you're willing to sit around and talk about how much you don't like that other guy because you really don't like that other guy? Or you, you pair up with somebody who's kind of a big jerk and... You gripe about that politician that's horrible, and you're just happy that they agree that that guy's horrible. Um, anger and bitterness, and like it, it kills our hearts. It's awful. Like when the only thing, well, anyway, um, what Christ did there was, mind you, he asked, hey, should I heal this guy? Right? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Should I do good? Should I do evil? Should I save life or kill? And they won't answer. And the reason Christ gets angry, and the line there is anger. He looked around at them in anger, and he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He turned to the man and he healed him. And so what Christ does, he experiences anger. The Greek form there means passing or transient, meaning he got angry, the anger was intense, and the anger passed. And he used the anger... Like, actually to heal a guy. That's powerful, isn't it? Um, Or Shadakia, I don't want to use me as an example of this. Never mind. Um, I I knew a a guy who was a therapist years ago who worked with uh, addiction clients. And he sat down one day, and he was doing group, and I talked to him afterwards. And he told me this. He's like, man, I just heard the worst story I've ever heard in my whole life. And I am so angry. I am I am. My blood is boiling. I'm seeing red at at the way that this person was abused and mistreated. I cannot believe how angry I am. And then I asked him, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to work harder. Man. I I met a fellow who um, dealt with foster care uh, professionally, um, and, and he was enraged by the things that he encountered in the in the state's foster care system. And so he started a foster care program with the intent of doing it better. Um, sometimes with our anger, we destroy, right? Sometimes we attack. Sometimes we tear and we fight. Sometimes we knock Rebecca over to get away. Sometimes, I mean, there are all of these things we do. Um, if we look at Christ's example here, what Christ does is he makes the world better when he gets angry. Like he heals from a position of anger. What is that? Like that is loving, right? Did he ignore it? No. Did he let it go? No. Did he confront it? Yes. And he used it ultimately to make the world better. Um, That's no small thing. Um, Because usually our inclination when we get angry is to indulge and be powerful and fight and win 
right? And in reality, like, when it becomes about us winning and not about glorifying God, um, then it's not really the right way. What we see in Christ's behavior there is he glorifies God with his anger. Um, this is John 2. This is a passage or a story that's related in, I think, all of the Gospels, actually, but I picked the John version. Uh, when it came to pa- when it when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people settle, selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins to the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Um, There's a lot of discussion around this passage. It is a big, sticky, hard thing because this is the guy who said, turn the other cheek when somebody strikes you on your right cheek, turn on the other also. But then also making a whip out of cords is an option sometimes. I mean, (laughs) um, what's going on here? Well, Christ sees these folks taking advantage of the temple courts, this would be the outer courts, the court of women and Gentiles, meaning like this is the spot where the people who can't go into the inner courts go to worship. And instead of allowing those people their worship space, people were selling stuff and making pretty good money. There's um, some hinting. There's some hinting in the Talmud that this was a really corrupt like sort of money-making scheme that the market was run by the nephew of the high priest, and the high priest was the high priest because he paid a ton of money to get the job, and they kind of like, they worked in synergy to make a whole lot of money off the people coming to worship. Um, The long and short of it is um, Christ saw people who were abusing God's house, um, who were making a profit off of God's, uh, like people worshiping God, were preying on folks who were there to worship, um, Um, I'll just talk louder. Oh, is it on? Maybe I won't talk louder. Um, (laughs) So uh, what's going on here? Well, um, what do we do with this? Uh, There is a fella, and I beat him up quite a bit in the last few weeks, uh, but I'm going to do it again because I can, who uh, told his followers, hey, if you uh, want to obey God, you need to give me enough money to buy a Gulfstream. Right? You guys, everybody heard this, right? Um, or, or there are other folks. There's a fellow who uh, recently dipped into his church's funds to buy his wife's Lamborghini to make up for the fact that he had had an affair with another woman.
Thank you. Uh, what Paul is doing there is um, Paul is getting angry. And he's getting angry appropriately. You know why? Because these are people who are trying to put a burden on folks approaching God. They were trying to, trying to force something unscriptural and unbiblical on the people like who were pursuing Christ. And, and he got angry. And that is appropriate. And he uses the anger the same way Jesus used his anger um, to help correct it. To call folks to account to make things right. Um, that's not a small thing. Um, because over and over again, what we're going to see is when Christ gets angry, he does so in a way that calls people to account and makes the world better and tries to pull people out of their sin or tries to protect people who are being victimized. Uh, Luke, this is Luke 11, 43 to 46. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts of the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. So the teacher of the law is there. He's like, hey, you can insult the Pharisees, but lay off us. Jesus replied, and you... Experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens and they can hardly, that, that the burdens they can hardly carry and you yourself will not lift a finger to help them. Um, what Jesus is doing there, he's saying, listen, he's calling, this is actually the woes sermon. He stands in amongst the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and he calls them out. He says, hey, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. This is like a, a prophetic way of speaking, like woe to is an Old Testament prophetic way of saying God's going to squish you guys. And he calls them, you're like unmarked graves that people walk over, meaning you are dead and people walk past you not realizing that you are a walking dead man, rotting inside. Man, Jesus is always a nice guy, right? <laughs> I, I remember for a long time I thought Jesus was always pleasant to everyone. And in reality, sometimes Jesus said hard things. And you know why he said hard things? He said hard things to folks who were getting in the way of folks encountering encountering God, like knowing God. He called people out. And actually the point of the woe things is repent, guys, knock it off. Get your, get your head straight. Stop being so hard-hearted. Don't glorify yourselves. Glorify God. Help people know God. Like this is the point. And so what Jesus is doing there is he's saying, get right, guys, in this way. Be right with God this way. Um, he uses his anger to make the world a better place. Uh, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. This is uh, Ephesians, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futile, futility of, your, of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Um, that is, however, not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with, that, with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupt by its own deceitful desires, to be made new in your attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we, member, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And so he starts out, he says, listen, don't be like the world. Don't be like these guys who are all hard-hearted. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's be like Christ. Pursue this way of living. Treat people honestly. Be, uh, speak honestly. And he comes all the way down to the bottom line here is, and like, he comes down, like the bottom line, the summary line is, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not let the de- give the devil a foothold. Um, what do we do with that? Well, we're going to kind of transition to some application here, right? Um, anger isn't sin. Got it? Being angry is not sinful. Getting angry, you might be sitting there grinding your teeth at me because I'm talking too long. Or um, you might be angry at the people around you. Like, these are natural things. We get angry because... Um, we're designed to, right? If I didn't get angry when the wolves came running in, I might get eaten instead of Rebecca. Um, like, that's an awful example. I'm sorry, I should not, uh, I'll, I'll focus here. Um, the, the point being, like, like, anger is a natural thing. What we do with anger is what really plays out. Like, if anger tells us something about ourselves, like, like and gives us an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness, that's a huge deal. Um, if anger points out to us a spot where God's kingdom is not being served, that's a huge deal. Um, anger can become a powerful tool in making the world better. It becomes a powerful tool in serving God's like, like kingdom coming. Um, if we see folks struggling to find something to eat and we go out and we buy them food because we're angry that they're struggling, that's huge, right? Um, Being angry, um, well, let's, sorry, let me get back to where I was going here, my rabbit trail. Um, so don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Has anybody ever gone to bed angry? Probably so all of us. Um, the thing with laying in bed angry is it gives you a lot of time to think. And I've discovered that I rarely get less angry while I'm laying in bed. Anybody else? Sometimes I wake up less angry. So, like, to be fair. Um, but generally, I think the idea here is if you allow your anger to fester, if you allow it to get worse, if you allow it to become more infected, um, you ultimately give the devil a foothold. What does that mean? Um, it is a spot. That, all right. Anybody ever get into Well, when you get into a fight, when you get into a physical altercation, one of the coolest things to have on your side is firm ground. Right? Um, when I worked at the home, I once uh, was involved in a physical altercation where somebody had thrown a very large container of spaghetti sauce. And the spaghetti sauce had slipped all over the floor, and it was everywhere on this, on this uh, linoleum floor. And the angry party who threw the spaghetti sauce then attempted to fight someone. And it was amazing how badly they did because their feet went right out from underneath them and they fell down. <laughs> um, If we give the devil a foothold, we give him a spot to stand and firm ground to stand on in order to fight. Um, When I deal with folks and I get angry as soon as I start dealing with them, I've given the devil a foothold. When I try to serve someone, when I try to love someone, when I try to preach the gospel, when I try to fulfill Christ's teachings, and 
in the effort of doing so, that ground that the devil is standing on, he uses it to stab me over and over again. Guess what? That's a foothold. That's actually a little fortress I built for him. What do we do with that? Well, we work on letting go of anger. We work on forgiving. We work on digging underneath it and figuring out what is underneath it. That's something that somebody I know who's very intelligent often says to me, well, what's underneath all that anger? What's underneath that? What's going on? And sometimes it is, I'm frustrated, so I'm angry. I'm insulted, so I'm angry. I'm belittled, so I'm angry. I am alone, so I'm angry. Anybody else relate to this? All right, let's phrase this differently. Anybody ever underneath a car and you start to sit up too quick and you hit your head? You know this one? And the first thing you do isn't saying, ow, my head, it is son of a gun or something to that effect. Does it make sense to be angry? Well, no, not really. You're just hurt. But anger jumps out of other stuff. Sometimes that stuff is hurt. Sometimes it is like pain. Sometimes it's frustration. Sometimes it's loneliness. Sometimes it's depression. Um, I've known folks who get angry when they feel happy. Isn't that weird? But there's something going on there. Anger comes out of something else. Uh, What do we do with that? Well, we resolve it. We dig underneath it and we make it right. Um, I have dandelions in my yard and they will be there forever. Do you know why? Because how I deal with dandelions is I rev up the mower And I run them over. And amazingly, I wake up the next morning and somebody planted more. You know what doesn't ever grow back? There are tulips all over my yard that will grow every once in a while. But if I run them over with a mower, they don't come back. You get rid of dandelions by digging down, pulling out the roots, right? There is something underneath that makes us angry. I knew a guy who was angry at his dad for 40 years. Wrecked his life. Angry at his dad. His dad had been dead for 35 years. But he was still mad at him. And until he dug down and he pulled the root out, that was it. It was just who he was. Um, so what else can we do? My, bro- my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. By the way, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's a couple of quick things here, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Married people, how many times have you gotten angry at your spouse only to discover that they were saying exactly what they should be saying and you didn't hear them out because you were busy being angry? Oh, I see a lot of nods. (laughs) Thank you, Rebecca, for being the only one to raise your hand. Um, (laughs) Listening, sometimes our desire is to get angry and attack because feeling like we feel threatened and we attack and it feels strong because anger is strong. And instead of stopping and saying, wait a minute, can you unpack that for me? Can you explain what you mean? We get angry. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow to speak. Anybody ever say the right thing when they were angry? (laughs) One of the smartest things you can learn to do is shut up. Um, And slow to become angry. Um, Sometimes this means taking deep breaths. Sometimes this means catching hold of yourself and saying what's going on underneath it. Sometimes this means identifying what's underneath it and, and dealing with it. When I worked at the children's home, you would deal with people who would I try to hit you with a folding chair or insult your mom or your wife 
or you. And like there was this inclination when I first started to get angry. Nobody talks about how fat I am except me or my wife probably. Um, and so you would get angry. And instead, if you could hit the brakes and stop and say, you know what? I don't really care what this person says. It doesn't even make sense. That, that was like, you know, eventually you learn to do that and it got easier. But you might be dealing with somebody and your heart starts beating fast. And you start making fists and you start grinding your teeth and you start thinking, I'm going to strangle you. Some of you guys have experienced this with your own children um, or your spouse or what have you. Like recognizing those things, backing up and taking a breath, not throwing gas on it, letting it go, identifying how to make the world better as a result, like whatever it is. Um, this is a practical bit of advice. Hit the brakes, guys, right? Just hit the brakes as hard as you can. Don't talk. Listen. Ask clarifying questions. Most people don't want to hear your opinion. Right? I've discovered that. Most people don't want to hear what I think. They want me to listen. We want to hear what the Bible says. Um, <laughs> Proverbs. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Anybody ever have an angry friend and you spend any time with them and before you know it, you are angry. Isn't it amazing? Um, you want to see the perfect example of that? Like open up Facebook and spend about five minutes looking for a political post. And you can watch the cascade of angry. Isn't it true? Twitter is even worse, actually. Um, The more we associate with folks who pour gas on the fire and help us pour gas on the fire, the worse it gets. Um, I have a friend who is telling me that she is associated with somebody who is angry all the time, and they try to get her angry too. Because you know what? It feels good when everybody's angry. Because then you got somebody to commiserate with. Identify angry people and back up. That's what Proverbs is saying. And it's not a, not a poor way to do it. It makes sense. Um, we learn from the people around us. We become the sum of the folks that we associate with. Um, There's certain authors I won't read anymore because all they do is make you angry. That's the whole purpose of writing was to make you angry. There are things on the radio I don't listen to because they just exist to make you angry. They don't glorify God. They don't make the world a better place. They just make you mad. And I want to be better than that. Uh, do not, oh, I'm sorry, let's see if I can actually get this to, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Anybody ever, like, meet somebody who just pours out all their anger as soon as they get it? The word is, hit the brakes, bring peace. Um, actually, I heard a line from Hosea, most of y'all probably have heard it, he who sows in the wind reaps the whirlwind, right? You know, the more chaos you create in the world around you, the more chaos there'll be. Um, if you create problems in your own marriage, in your own family, in your own home, eventually you'll be homeless. Um, it is one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel, meaning don't jump into fights, right? <laughs> meaning slow down and don't fight if you don't have to. Uh, there's a great line, um, like a man who grabs a dog by the ears, so is a man who jumps into an argument that's none of his business. That was an Eric paraphrase. Anybody ever grab a dog by the ears? They love that stuff. Anybody ever jump into somebody else's fight? Last one. This is, uh, we did this passage a second ago. In your anger, do not sin. Guys, you know you, right? I'm talking, this is actually one of those weird sermons about 90% aimed at me. Because cause anger anger's easy. I am easily angered. I do my best to be better. Um, 
one day I'll be as good a piano player as Rebecca, right? Um, <laughs> only if I try hard. Only if I practice. Only if I work at it. You want to be a not angry person? You want to be like Jesus? You want to make this stuff right in your life? You want to be the kind of person whose anger makes the world better instead of making it worse? You have to work at it. You have to train at it. You have to not gossip. Oh my gosh, that's awful. But I've never had a gossiping session where I wasn't either like tantalized or irritated when I was done, right? You have to forgive. You have to serve folks you're angry at. You have to not simmer in it. Sometimes you have to confess. When I quit drinking, I had to go around and do amends, which is like an awful thing. And I had this great experience where I run around to people that I had been angry at for years, and I told them, you know what, I was mad at you for years, and I gossiped about you, and I'm sorry. Those people wronged me more than I wronged them. But I had to heal my own cancer, not theirs. At the end of the day, being angry is a little like having rat poison to deal with the rats in your attic, right? And you sit in the living room and you eat it yourself because anger doesn't affect the people that you're angry at. It only kills you. I'm going to close in prayer my challenge for you this week. Um, I know I'm way long, and I don't feel sorry for it. Um, but my challenge for you is some of you all have folks you're angry at. Some of you guys have folks you resent. Some of you guys have folks that you've been carrying anger at for years, and it has changed who you are as a person. My challenge for you this week is don't let the sun go down on it. Don't let the week go down on it. Deal with it. If it means you have to sit down and have a conversation with someone about it, do it. Because amazingly, if you talk to somebody who wants to help you become righteous instead of help you get angrier, those people will help you be less angry if you talk. It's kind of cool. Um, I do that with my wife. I go home and I vent. And then after about 15 minutes, she's like, oh, really? And I'm a little less mad. And she very rarely says, oh, yeah, you're right. You should probably go and kill those people or you should probably go and burn their house down. Um, she never says stuff like that. You know why? Because my wife helps me not be angry because she knows it makes me worse. Um, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Figure out how to love folks. Figure out how to make the world a better place. Figure out how to fix a relationship. Figure out how to, like, put down the rat poison and heal. And pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, this is a hard subject, Lord. I pray that you would touch folks who are dealing with anger, uh, that are dealing with resentment and rage. I pray that you would heal them. I pray that you would help us to figure out how to dig underneath that anger and pull at the roots of it, the, the hurt or the bitterness or the the sadness or the, the feelings of rejection or whatever it is, Lord. Help us to be righteous. Help us to serve you and glorify you. Um, help us to stop pouring gas on the fire and instead pour the water of the Spirit into our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good Sunday, guys.